starts to Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> and I want to give you something that the Lord laid on my heart um, a week or two ago, and I know that I have preached, uh, it seems like, at least the last few Sunday mornings, I've been preaching predominantly on salvation, and um, we've had some folks saved, we've not always had lost, the lost respond to the invitation as far as coming forward and getting saved, but it does seem like the Lord is having me preach on salvation a lot, and and so we just want to follow, we want to follow his direction. And uh, how many believe the word of God never returns void? Amen? Amen. And, uh, and so I want to preach a message on salvation today. But uh, there is a, there, there's a segment in this message I, that I feel really strong about that God's laid on my heart. And you're going to ask yourself, what in the world does that have to do with salvation? And, and it may not necessarily have a direct connection to salvation, but uh, it is something that I believe the Lord wanted me to, uh, the Lord wanted me to employ into the message today, and I hope you'll really, I hope you'll really give me a good hearing today, and uh, really, really, uh, really give me a good hearing, really pay attention today, and I know that you will. Matthew chapter one in your Bibles when you find your place, if you're able, let's all stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. If you're able, that is Matthew chapter one, and we're going to begin like we have several times in verse number eighteen. And we'll read down through verse number 25. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Notice verse 21. It's our text this morning. The Bible says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Notice this. For he shall save his people from their sins. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Won't you look at verse 21 again? The Bible says, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I know that's not a fancy title, but it is a Bible title. And, uh, and that's what I want to talk to you about. He shall save his people from their sins. You may be seated this morning, and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and uh, would you please, don't just listen to me pray, but would you pray with me? And would you pray that, that God would bind the powers of darkness and that God would, would uh, accomplish his will today? And would maybe even pray something like this. I prayed this this morning. Lord, work in spite of me. Can you imagine having to work with something like this? And so I pray that often. Lord, work in spite of me. Work in spite of me. Do something in spite of me. And uh, if this thing's dependent on men... Or women, we're in trouble this morning. And so this has got to be the Lord. And so I want you to pray that God, would, uh, that God would speak to our hearts. Parents, I hope you'll really hear me this morning. Because I, I believe the Lord's got a word for you. If you're parents here today and you have teenagers or young people, well, I hope you'll really give the pastor a good hearing today. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we love you. <clears throat> and Lord, thank you for the privilege to be in church. Lord, we love this place. We love being here. It's evident that there are some others who feel that exact same way. And so, Lord, thank you for giving us the freedom, the privilege, the health to be here today. I know some of our folks are under the weather, not able to be with us. We sure pray for them, that you'd help them to know we're missed. And I pray that you'd touch their bodies and heal them. And then, Lord, there are others that are very heavy-hearted today. They've lost loved ones to death. Uh, we've had several deaths this week. Lord, I pray that you'd be with these folks and comfort them in their time of need. And now, Lord, I pray that you'd knit our hearts together as you've done many times and help us to learn something from God's word that would be a help and a blessing 
Lord, I don't want to impress. There may have been a time earlier in my ministry where I wanted to really preach a good sermon. And I think I'm growing out of that. And Lord, more than anything, I just want to give people truth today. And so it may seem like good preaching, and it may not. I really don't know. And I'm really not that concerned about that part. God, I pray, though, that the truth of the Word of God will go out and that, Lord, we'll go away from this place changed. So, Lord, bind the powers of darkness. You're able to do that. And I pray that you'd fill us with the Spirit and we plead the blood of Jesus over this service. And I pray you'd bless our time together around your precious book now, the Word of God. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And for his sake and all the Lord's people said, amen. What an incredible statement. The Bible says, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, I understand you're like me. You've read that scripture many, many times. You've probably read it more, even more in the last little bit since we're uh, just coming off the Christmas holiday. But what an incredible statement, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Bible is very clear to point out that this is the reason that Jesus came to this earth, for he shall save his people from their sins. I wrote several things down here. This was the reason for his coming. This was the reason that divinity would leave the heavenly to be with humanity, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is the reason that Christ would make himself of no reputation. That's what the Bible tells us in the book of Philippians chapter two, verse number seven, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. This is the reason that Christ would make himself a little lower than the angels. We find that in Hebrews chapter two and verse number nine. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. This is the reason that God would make himself as a man. In Hebrews chapter two and verse number 17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now again, I just want to draw your attention in on that today. The Bible says, for he shall save his people from their sins. You say, preacher, okay, I get it. For he shall save his people from their sins. You say, pastor, you're saying that a lot. You're repeating that. You're right. I am. I'm saying it a lot because I hope you'll get it. For he shall save his people from their sins. It's the reason he came. It's the reason that God became man. It's, it, it's the reason that we have the incarnate son of God. It's the reason that, uh, that Jesus was born in a manger, that, that Jesus came into this world, for he shall save his people, listen now, for he shall save his people from their sins. In fact, I want you to say it with me, uh, the last part at least, for he shall save his people, say the last part, from That's very good. For he shall save his people from from their sins. Now, you say, all right, okay, preacher, I've got it. I've got it. Well, you know, when you read that statement, for he shall save his people from their sins. Well, that tells us some great things. That really teaches some wonderful, wonderful lessons. And you may have picked up on the, those lessons and maybe you haven't. But I want to share some of those lessons with you. For he shall save his people from their sins sins. Let me tell you what it teaches us. Number one, it teaches us that man's greatest need was not being saved from what I'm going to call spiritual domination. Man's greatest need was not being saved from spiritual domination. Now, please hear me out on this first point. Spiritual warfare is a very serious and a very real thing. In fact, I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number six. And I want you to find your place to verse number 10. Ephesians chapter six and verse number 10. And look what our Bible teaches us here. Spiritual warfare is a very real thing. 
If your eyes could be open today and you could see the spiritual realm, you could see the spiritual world, you would be amazed at what you would see. Spiritual warfare is a very serious and a very real thing. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, the, the Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Look what he says in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then he says in verse 13, wherefore, because of what we've just said, wherefore, taking you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Listen, church, did you know that your main battle is not with flesh and blood? Your main battle is not with your family. Your main battle is not with those you work with. Your main battle is not with that person that you feel like you're, you're at odds against. That's not your main battle. Your main battle is not with flesh and blood. The Bible says that your main battle is spiritual warfare, that you are fighting against forces that you cannot see, but they are very real, they are very present, they are very relevant, and by the way, they're very powerful and they're very, very strong. Look what our Bible says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, what's the first word, against what? Principalities, against principalities. What in the world? Preacher, what does that mean? Principalities, well, it's a Greek word, A-R-C or A-R-C-H, ark, and from that word, we get the, the word archangels. And so the word principality there is the idea of archangels. We know the Bible makes mention of several archangels. Uh, Michael was an archangel. Gabriel was an archangel. Uh, that word arch there means beginning or first originated, first created. And if you study your Bible, you'll find out that archangels seem to be the most powerful of all the angelic creation. The Bible says we fight against principalities. But not only that, the Bible says we fight against powers. Notice that, we fight against powers. It's the Greek word exousia, and it means, listen to this now, it means jurisdictional power. Jurisdictional power. In other words, we believe this according to the word of God. There are some angels that have certain jurisdiction in certain places, okay? For instance, Every once in a while, our county, our county sheriff department will come up here and they'll park in our, in our parking lot, you know, at night sometimes and different times of the day. And we've told these guys, you come up here and park anytime, every time you want to. Uh, you're welcome here. We want you. We want you here. Now, one of the reasons that they park up here and they patrol in this area is because Iredell County has jurisdiction in Iredell County. Aren't you glad you came to learn that today? Amen? Uh, now, it wouldn't do much good. Wouldn't do much good for, uh, uh, for uh, you know, Mecklenburg, uh, Mecklenburg uh, sheriff or deputies to be parked in, our, uh, in our, uh, our, our parking lot. Now, they might do some help or might help us a little bit. But, but technically, uh, uh, Mecklenburg County doesn't have jurisdictional power in Ireland County. Does that make sense? Okay, according to the word of God, there are some fallen angels, there are some demons now, the word demon's not really a Bible word, but there are some fallen angels that seem to have jurisdictional duty over certain things. For instance, I believe there are some angels that have jurisdiction over America. I believe there are some angels that have jurisdiction over Iredell County. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that. I believe there are some angels that have jurisdiction over Statesville. There are some that have jurisdiction over Union Grove. There's some that have jurisdiction over, uh, over Harmony or Wilkesboro or, uh, or Boonville or Yatkinville or wherever the case may be. They have jurisdictional power in those places. But let's just go ahead and pull this on down where the rubber meets the road. I believe there are some angels, fallen angels, that have jurisdictional power over homes. You say, Pastor. Are you trying to tell me that Satan has assigned certain of his angels to be in charge of my home? You got it. Believe that without a shadow of any doubt. That there are certain angels, I don't know what they look like, I don't know what their names are, 
But uh, listen, just like the army has generals and, and colonels and lieutenants and majors and sergeants and privates and, uh, and all those kind of things, Satan has the same thing. He has a rank, it's Satan, and then he has his uh, archangels, if you will, and then he has the demons. And, and I believe that he has put certain demons uh, over countries and over counties and over uh, states. And I believe that Satan has put certain angels over your home and over uh, your kids and over your family now. I'm just—I I know I got to get off this point here, uh, but but I want to tell you something. Uh, understand something, church. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. Your problem is not with the person that's sitting in the back of the church, and your problem is not with the person who sits in the front of the church. Your problem is with principalities and powers. The Bible says that's where the battle is. But not only powers. Look what he says. We're fighting against the rulers of the darkness of this world. The rulers of the darkness of this world. It means this, of ignorance, respecting divine things. That's what that means. Darkness, blindness. These angels have been tasked with keeping people in blindness and blinding them from the truth. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. There are some angels in our world, and they have this responsibility. They are to keep people in blindness. They're to do everything they can to keep you and your kids and your loved ones from being exposed to truth. Have you ever wondered about this? You ever wonder why everything seems to fly apart right before church? I mean, everything can be going great. And then you get up on Sunday morning, start getting ready for church. And I mean, man, it's like the world falls apart. I mean, everything goes haywire. Everything goes crazy. And, uh, and then you, you finally get flustered and you get aggravated. You say, well, we're just not going to go today. Well, you just, you just lost because those powers are doing their best to try to keep you in spiritual blindness. We're fighting against those powers. We're fighting against those principalities. We're fighting against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Look what the Bible says here. We're fighting against spiritual, now, now follow me church. We're fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places. Spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a phrase that means spiritual depravity or the most depraved, the most depraved. These fallen angels have been been given the responsibility of leading people into absolute depravity. Are you following me? And evidently, they're hard at work. Because brother, we're living there. We're living in a day of absolute depravity. We're living in a day where, you know what, when you just, when you think you've saw it all, something else happens. Just when you think we went, it, we went as far down as we can go, it gets worse. Just when you think you've saw the, the worst crime somebody commits, somebody commits the worst crime. I mean, it's just, it's, it gets more and more depraved. The more we live, the longer we live, I mean, the more wicked this world becomes. Uh, why? Because we're fighting not against flesh and blood, but we're fighting against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I don't know if I am connecting with you or not, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you, if that doesn't concern you, it should. Because this, this is not make-believe. This is not Grimm's fairy tale. This is not something I got out of a fairy tale book. I'm telling you, what I'm preaching this morning is the word of God. There are angels, I'm telling you, there are angels that exist in this day and time and they have one goal and that goal is taking you away from the will of God. That's their goal. That's what they live for. That's what they want to do. That's why you have so many problems. That's why you fight a battle. That's why temptation never seems to leave you alone because there are forces at hand that are fighting against us. Spiritual forces. But I want to go a step further. I really believe these angels not only seek to oppress people, But I believe these angels seek to possess people. Now, you say, preacher, 
Why should I be so concerned about demonic possession in this day in which we live? Hear me out. Because I really believe this. We're living in a society right now and sometimes out of sheer ignorance, they are opening the door to a very spiritual realm and that realm is incredibly, incredibly dangerous. You see, this is what I believe. I don't believe a person can be possessed with a, with a demon accidentally. I believe a door must be open. You're, you're not going to come into my house accidentally. If you come in my house in the middle of the night, it'll be on purpose. And if you come in my house in the middle of the night, you had better announce your intentions. Or I'll let that nine, miller, nine millimeter uh, uh, carry my intentions, amen. Now, wait a minute now. You don't come in by accident. I don't believe a demon comes in by accident. I believe that people are being demon-possessed. You say, Pastor, that's back in Bible days. Oh, no. No, sir. You're seeing it unfold right before your very eyes. And I believe that people are being demon-possessed because a door is being opened. Now, you say, Pastor, what are you talking about? There are some things that crack the door open for demonic possession. But you say, Preacher, how and what? Well, I mean, what are those things? Hear me out, church. Every single person in this room under the sound of my voice has gates into their spirit. You have gates, you have gates into your soul. Pastor, what are you talking about? The eyes serve as a gate into your spirit. The ears serve as a gate into your spirit. Hear me out now. Oh, Jesus, give us help this morning. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. Listen, if you think for a half a second Satan wants me preaching this, you got another thing coming, Jack. But I listen, if we don't get through any other point today, I want to get through this one because I, I really feel strongly about what I'm preaching this morning. Your eyes serve as a gate. Your eyes serve as a door. Your ears serve as a gate. Your ears serve as a door. Your mind serves as a gateway. It is a, it is a gatekeeper to the soul. You say, all right, pastor, I get it. I'm not sure if you really do. You see, there is a very subtle enemy that is providing things that cause these gates to become inoperative. If you have a gate at your house and it doesn't work, can I ask you a question? What good is it? Right. Mr. Richard, we have a door, but it's sort of hanging off the hinges. It won't lock, hadn't locked for many years. I'm asking you a question. What good is it? You see, a, a gate is only as good as it is to keep something from coming in. And we have an enemy today that is providing things that cause these gates to become inoperative. It's, if I could say it like this, it's causing these gates to be placed in neutral. Neutral. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, how about this? How about substance abuse? We had this, a little bit of this conversation on Wednesday night. Substance abuse. Hey, young people, do you understand? Do you understand? I don't think you do. You understand how dangerous drugs and alcohol are? You say, preacher, I love you and everything, but you're not with it anymore. Well, you know what? You're right about that. I'm not with it. And for that matter, hallelujah, I never have been with it. And I don't plan to get with it now. Amen. And you say, preacher, drugs and alcohol, not that big a deal. It is a big deal. It's a very big deal. And I'll tell you why. Because when you begin to take part in alcohol to the point where you become intoxicated and inebriated and you begin to become involved in, uh, in narcotics and, and uh, drugs and you say, well, preacher, all I do is smoke pot. That's all I do. Listen, friend, we can debate this all the live long day, but I'm just telling you this is a fact. I'm telling you, marijuana is just the beginning. It is just the beginning. 
And when you begin to take this alcohol, drink this alcohol, and you begin to get involved in this substance abuse and these drugs and marijuana and cocaine and crack and meth and all these things, you say, preacher, what's the big deal? The big deal is this. When you take those things into your body, you know what it does? It makes your gates inoperative. You're not able to slam those gates shut. You're not able to, to keep things out like you once did, like you're supposed to, like God made you to. All of a sudden, those gates are put into neutral and, and you're, you're saying, man, I'm trying to close it, but I just, it, it, it won't work, it won't work. And the reason it won't work is because, uh, because of the alcohol. The reason it won't work is because of those, those narcotics, those drugs have, have, have put all that stuff into neutral and it's made it impossible for you to close those gates. Are you following me? Not only substance abuse, but I wrote something else here, down here. Corrupt music can do that. I believe that. The wrong kind of music. Now, church, we don't have to debate all, all day, all the live long day for that. You know what corrupt music is. Corrupt music can be used as a door to demonic possession. You younger people won't recognize this name. You older folks will. Jimi Hendrix was one of the most famous rockers that ever lived, I mean, you talk about prestige, fame, notoriety, money, he had it all. And by the way, he died in 1970 after choking on his own vomit. Jimi Hendrix said this, atmospheres are going to come through music because music is a spiritual thing of its own. And this is what he said. You hypnotize people to where they go right back to their natural state, which is pure positive. And when you get people at that weakest point, you can preach into the subconscious what we want to say. People won't release any kind of way nowadays. The idea is to release in the proper form. Then they'll feel like going into another world, a clearer world. The music flows from the air. Isn't that interesting? He says something like that. The music flows from the air. That's why he said, that's why I connect with a spirit. And when they come down off this natural high, they see clearer, feel different things. And so Jimi Hendrix recognized and admitted that music is definitely a way to open up a, a gate to the spiritual forces. And uh, his life was ruined, by the way, because of that. And so I believe that these gates, eyes, the eye gate, ear gate, the mind, these things can be rendered inoperable because of drugs and alcohol, because of corrupt music. I'll tell you something else. Boy, this is going to be, you talk about Mr. Unpopular. How about electronic video games? You, pass, you say, preacher, are you serious? As a heart attack. I can't believe you're really preaching on video games. Well, aren't you glad you were here for today? Amen. Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying it's sinful necessarily, although some of them are, and you know, you know which ones are. You know what you shouldn't be listening to. You know what you shouldn't be seeing. Amen. But I will tell you this. I'm, I am concerned because our kids are so caught up in technology and devices and video games. And you know what I've noticed about when you watch these kids, and I'm, talking, I'm not talking about teenagers, I'm talking about little kids. Yep. Caught up on these devices and electronic games. And you know what it does? It literally, it literally puts their mind in neutral. Yep. You, can, you can talk to them, they don't even listen. You can say, y'all come in here. Don't move a muscle. Not even hearing you. You're not even in their world. You know why? Because they're in a whole other world. And those video games are putting their minds in neutral, putting their gates in neutral. I believe that television does that. Now, okay, you, you say, all right, all right, preacher. So, so, okay, so I can't get my gate closed. What, what's the big deal? Listen, friend, when you can't get your door locked, when you can't get your door shut and locked, you know what happens? Things come in. Things come in. Years ago, man, we were living down here at the parsonage. 
and we had a shed right across from the parsonage there, and my kids were terrible about leaving that door open. And they'd go out there in the shed, and they'd come out, and they'd leave that door open. And I got on my kids, and I said, close that door. We had stuff in there and had dog food in there, and I said, close that door. Keep that door closed. And those kids wouldn't close that door. And you know what I knew? Daddy knew something those kids didn't know. If you don't keep that door closed, things go in that are not supposed to be in. And so sure enough, I went out there one day, and there it was. Sure enough, they left that door unlocked, left that door open, snake went in there. Well, I hate snakes. I'm just telling you, I hate snakes. I hate them. You say, well, preacher, what about? There's no what about. I hate them all. Amen. I, I, I don't like any of them. I don't like any of them. And, uh, but I remember getting on my kids and saying, you better keep that door shut. Keep that door shut. Why? Because if you don't close the gate, something's going to come in. Listen, you understand why demonic possession is such a thing in this day and time because our gates are not closed. We're not guarding our eyes. We're not guarding our ears. We're not guarding our minds. And because of that, listen, I'm telling you, there are forces that are coming in and they are taking control. So much I could say right here. Listen, church, and I, it's 12:14. We get through this first point and we're home free. Explain to me, why are things going cattywampus nowadays? Why are we murdering? Why are we murdering more babies in America every single year than we ever have in our life? I'm talking about hundreds of thousands. I mean hundreds and hundreds of thousands of babies are being murdered. Why, why is it that we have politicians on Capitol Hill that will fight for a partial birth abortion? that will fight for a baby to be aborted all the way up to delivery time. And now we have politicians that are even trying to legislate that a baby can be, uh, be killed 14 days after. You say, Pastor, that don't make any sense. It does make sense. If you can kill them before, why can't you kill them after? I mean, listen, none of that stuff. It's crazy. It's crazy. You have a, 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 you have a mom that's, that's seven months pregnant and, and a drunk driver hits her in the car and kills her, her unborn baby, they charge him with murder. You let that same mama, seven months pregnant, go into an abortion clinic and that doctor can kill babies all the live long day and we'll parade and protest and we'll campaign. Uh, you ever wonder why we're having so many mass shootings in America? Church, I want to tell you what, Joe Biden's not going to solve it. Donald Trump's not going to solve it. The solution's not in the Democratic Party. The solution's not in the Republican Party. The solution is in Jesus. And the reason our world is falling apart is because, friend, we have left the gate open. And Satan is coming in. Satan's angels are coming in. Listen to what Proverbs 4.23 says. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart with all diligence. You know what it means? It means blockade. Blockade. What's that saying, preacher? Man, you're to walk guard around that mind. You guys, some of you guys know what it is to walk guard. Man, you're to walk guard around that mind. Walk guard around that mind. Up, who goes there? I'd like to come in. Do you have a pass? Well, I don't have a passport. I'd like to come in. You ain't coming in. You know what? God's people ought to start walking guard around their minds. They ought to start walking guard around their kids' minds. Amen. Ought to start walking guard around our gates, around our eyes, around our ears. Uh, Listen, man's greatest, that is a great need. That is a great need, but hear me out. Man's greatest need was not being saved from spiritual domination. All right, I'll give you these next two. We're going to be heading to the house. Number two, man's greatest need was not being saved from maniacal occupation. Let me explain what I'm talking about. When Matthew chapter one was written, the occupation of Rome was a very real thing. Rome was a dominating, overtaking force in the known world. Uh, They were weighing heavy taxes upon the people. 
They were crucifying Jews. Rome was crucifying Jews on a regular basis. Oftentimes, as many as 500 Jews a day were being crucified. There were 6,000 crosses that lined the road from Rome to Capua. 6,000 crosses. And so you understand that when Jesus came and said, I'm gonna set up my kingdom, his disciples got it. They got excited because they thought he's gonna set up his kingdom right now. And he's gonna, he's gonna overthrow Rome. And Jesus said, that's not the kingdom I'm talking about. But that's what they were thinking about. But wait a minute now. Man's greatest need was not being saved from spiritual domination. Man's greatest need was not being saved from maniacal occupation. Number three, man's greatest need was not being saved from financial obliteration. I'm talking about poverty, destitution. You understand that in this day and time when Matthew chapter one was written, that much of the world was impoverished. Beggars was not something new. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 26, 11, for you have the poor always with you. For you have the poor always with you. Now, I'm going somewhere and we're almost done. Hang in there with me, church. Man's greatest need, we learned this from Matthew 1. Man's greatest need, although it's a need, man's greatest need was not being saved from spiritual domination. Man's greatest need was not being saved from maniacal occupation. Man's greatest need was not being saved from financial obliteration. But here it is, number four. Man's greatest need was being saved from sinful condemnation. Now look in your Bibles, Romans 5, and we're, we're gonna be out of here. Romans chapter five, and look at verse number 12. You say, well, pastor, if none of these things were man's greatest need, what was his greatest need? His greatest need was being saved from sinful condemnation. Romans chapter five, verse number 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Same chapter, skip down to verse number 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. Turn over one page and look at Romans chapter six and verse 23. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is what? Is death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Once Adam sinned, man became a sinful creature. Our, our very nature became corrupted. Became corrupted. Now we've had our grandkids with us the last little bit. We celebrated Christmas yesterday. Boy, it was wild at our house, I'm telling you. If you could have seen our house last night, man, oh man. And it was great. We loved it. But we got some really little, little grandkids right now. And you know, one of the things that, one of the things that you notice if you got little kids or little grandkids, one of the things you notice is this, you don't have to teach them how to sin. It comes natural. You don't have to teach them how to fuss. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. You don't have to teach them how to go take somebody else's toy away. You don't have to teach them how to, how to fight. Man, it just comes natural. You know why? Because we are sinners who need a savior. The penalty for our sin is death, death and hell, eternal separation from God. And so again, uh, understand something, Calvary. Your greatest need today is not physical healing. That's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is not financial freedom. Your greatest need is not better employment or social justice or improved government. Your, better, your greatest need is not a better standard of living. Your greatest need, your greatest need is to be saved from sinful condemnation. That's why the Bible says, for he came to save his people from their sins. Why? Because that was our greatest need and by the way, thank God he came to do it. You say, preacher, how did he do it? He did it by paying the penalty himself for our sins. 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes 
You were healed. We're done. Take your Bibles, turn to John 3, 16. You say, preacher, I got that memorized. Good. Look over there. John 3, 16. Look what our Bible says. For God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here it is. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hey, friend, Jesus came to save you from your sins. That's your greatest need. And if you'll believe, the Bible says, he'll give you everlasting life. He'll save you from your sins if you believe. That word believe it there in John 3, 16 is the Greek word pistuo, and it means to have faith or to be committed unto. Are you willing today? You say, preacher, I need my sins taken care of. Are you willing today to believe in him? Are you willing today to let him take control? To give your life to him? You say, preacher, I am. I am. I want that. How can I get it? (laughs) Right now, just ask him for it. Right now. Lord, I understand. I didn't understand before. This is why you came. I mean, I've got a lot, of, a lot of other needs, but my greatest need, my greatest need is my sinful condemnation. Lord, I believe in you. Lord, I believe in you as Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. Lord, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Take away my sins. Forgive me for my sins. Make me a new creature. And commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been many years ago now. A good friend of mine at the time. He was an older gentleman. He was probably, oh, he was probably at least 30 years my senior, I would say, probably. He's on his way one day. He was on his way to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And on his way down I-40, he started having some chest pains, really bad chest pains. And after a while, it got to the point where he couldn't stand it anymore, and so he finally pulled over on the, on the shoulder of the interstate. And when he did, he lost consciousness. He stayed there on the side of the interstate, passed out in his car until finally a state trooper came by. And the state trooper came up, knocked on the window, saw what was going on. He called the EMS. The EMS came. They threw him in in an ambulance and they rushed him down to Baptist Hospital and were able to keep him alive. And the doctors said to my friend, you have have one way to stay alive. You're going to have a heart transplant. Your Your heart's barely, barely keeping you alive. And it won't keep you that way very long. You're going to have to have a heart transplant. It's amazing. This man was saved. He knew the Lord. Right about that same time he arrived at Baptist Hospital, there was a car accident that took place. And in that car accident was a teenage boy. And tragically, that teenage boy, his life was taken. And his, uh, his family said, we don't want that, his life to be a waste. We, we, we want to make use of this, and so they allowed his heart to be taken as a, uh, for a heart transplant, and my friend, who was 30, probably at least 30 years, my senior said, preacher, he said, they took that heart out of that teenage boy, and he said, he took, they took my old heart out, and they put the heart of that teenage boy into my body. Did you know at that moment, the greatest need of that man was not owning a nice car, The greatest need of that man was not his bank account. The greatest need of that man was not being concerned about his appearance. The greatest need of that man was not being concerned about what others thought about him. His greatest need at that very moment was receiving a brand new heart. And you know what? It could be there's somebody in this room right here. Truth of the matter is, you need a new heart. But this is what those spiritual forces I preached about a while ago, this is what they're saying. Don't you go up there. Don't you raise your hand. 
If you raise your hand, what are people going to think? If you walk that aisle, what are people going to think? I mean, if you go up there, you might be embarrassed. If you go up there, somebody might say something. And right now, those spiritual forces are talking to you. And they're doing their best to try to keep you where you are and keep you in your seat and make sure that you don't believe and make sure that you don't receive Christ as Savior. And I just came here to tell you today, friend, your greatest need is being saved from sinful condemnation. And if you don't come to the Savior, hell will be your destiny. Now, I want to encourage you to do something. Will Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder if there might be somebody here today who would say, Preacher, it's me. It's me. If I died right now, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Preacher, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that my sins have been taken care of. I don't know that I've been forgiven. Preacher, if I were to die today, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. And I need, I need you to pray for me. Maybe somebody like that here this morning. Pastor, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not sure I would. Now, I want to ask this question. How many here this morning say, Preacher, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of any doubt, 100% sure, no doubt about it, there was a time in my life when Jesus convicted me of my condition, showed me my desperate need, and I know that 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 I came to Christ as Savior. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking. If that's you, as a testimony to that, you just slip your hand up right now and say, Preacher, that's me. That's me. Thank you so much. You can lower your hands. All right? Here it is. How many of those are here today? And you'd say, Brother Pope, in all honesty, I couldn't raise my hand. If I died, I'm not sure of heaven. But I care enough to slip up my hand and let you pray for me today. Preacher, please pray for me. I'm not sure of heaven. Would you remember me today? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now all over the house? Just raise them up right now. Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure about heaven. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Right now, you'd slip your hand up. You'd slip your hand up. Preacher, pray with me. If I died, I'm not sure of heaven. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I see that little hand right there. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, folks, I love you, but I'm going to tell you something. You can't have it both ways. You're either saved or you're lost. There's no in-between. Some of you, man, I'm so thankful you're here today, but you didn't raise your hand about salvation. Listen, heaven is your destiny or hell is your destiny. Anybody else, before we we pray, preacher, remember me. If I died, I'm not sure of heaven. Would you remember me? You slip your hand up. Is there anybody else like that? I can pray with you today. Anybody else? Anybody else? Would you do us a favor? Would you stand this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings. Lord, I know one thing. I've got many needs in my life. But the greatest need I've ever had was that spiritual, sinful condemnation. And God, it was something that I really couldn't pay on my own. If I did, I'd have to go to hell for eternity. I'm so glad for the day that somebody told me about the Savior. They told me what Jesus did for me, how he came, lived a perfect life, took my sins upon him, God's precious son, went to the cross of Calvary and there he bled and suffered and died that I might be forgiven and have eternal life. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would work in hearts 
and do that which only you can, please. Work through the live stream, I pray. And Lord, we sure thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. We have some personal workers in the altars. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure of heaven. Would you come right now? Would you come and let somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die? Oh, listen, friend, we love you. Don't you die without Jesus. Don't you die without the Savior. Don't you do that. Oh, listen, we're rooting for you this morning. Will you come while we wait? Some of you here this morning say, Pastor, I am saved. I've already testified to that. But I have some loved ones. I I love them like my own life, but they're lost. Preacher, I don't know that they really realize what you preached this morning. Their greatest need is that sinful condemnation being taken care of. I've got some folks that preacher I love, but they're lost. They're lost. They don't know the Lord. And if Christ were to come today, as far as I know, Pastor, they'd be left behind. Hey, would you be willing to just slip out and maybe just mention their name down in an old-fashioned altar? Lord, would you save them? Lord, would you save them? God, would you work in their lives? God, I don't want them left behind. I want them in heaven with me. Folks are continuing to come. Anybody else? Anybody else? Before we, before we bring this thing to a close. Oh, listen, Calvary. If we're going to see people saved, it's going to take some passion. It's going to take some burden. Anybody else? If you're here this morning, say, Pastor, I just need prayer. I'm saved, but I need prayer. Going through something right now, facing something in my life, and I just really need prayer. You come. Listen, we'll pray with you this morning while we wait, while we wait. So, Father, we thank you for your blessings. I pray again, Lord, work in spite of me. Lord, I pray that you'd bring the increase. Father, I pray that you'd work in every heart that's in this room. And then especially, I pray that you'd work in the hearts of these on the altars. God, you know what they're praying about. God, if it's loved ones, we sure ask for their salvation. God, show them their desperate need of a Savior. Show them, Lord, they cannot save themselves. They're not righteous enough to make it to heaven. Lord, show them what Jesus has done for them. And I pray they'll come to the Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to let our light shine. Lord, in just a few hours, the clock's going to tick to 2024. And God, I pray that we'll let our light shine as brightly as we've ever let it shine in 2024. Give us a burden for the lost. God, help us to reach our communities. God, we just thank you for loving us enough to send your precious son for us, Jesus Christ. Thank you for a so great salvation today. Love you, Lord. All right, heads about.